by the Game Reviews and the Unified Gamers Network, you're listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that says keep your hair on love to Bayonetta. I'm your imperturbable host, Sinan Kiba, and I'm joined for the second week in a row by my co-host, the man who puts the nag into Dragon Age, the one and only Joe Delia. Joe, how are you? I am very, very proud of you that you were able to say the word imperturbable. <laughs> After only five tries. Yes, yes. It doesn't matter because it... It's not only a word that I've never seen before, but it's also a word that I would never even think of using. So I'm very proud of you. Thank you. I think next week I'm just going to say I'm just going to say cool. Like your <laughs> cool host, Brad. Or Brad. Brad. Order. Look out for that next week. Okay, uh, so on to our guests. As we ease back into this whole podcasting malarkey, we welcome two returning guests to make things a bit easier, make us feel at home. And no guest is more homely than Gamer Nodes <laughs> versus Node Maestro. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't mean that, of course. It's Mr. Eddie Inzata. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm sorry for that. <laughs> I'm all right. I'm starting the, the podcast laughing, so that's always a good thing. And I have uh, a headset that I've had for about six years now and have only used one time for a podcast, and this will be the second. So I'm sure you're happy to hear that. Well, thank you. I hope it works. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you start the podcast laughing. I just hope that you don't end it crying uh but we'll 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 see what happens anyway on to our second guest he's a man who's written for gamer node ign the escapist resolution magazine and the financial times uh and here to tell us all about his dragon age to two it is freelancer extraordinaire christos reed christos welcome back <laughs> hi um, um yeah i have stopped i have stopped playing you know it's weird i was uh checking the hits on my blog and i noticed i mean getting some in from big red potion I thought, what is that I flitted over and I saw my article in the links bit, and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Spent 40 minutes waiting to find the bit that you two decided to mention the article in. It was almost like it sounded like an indirect intervention. <laughs> we, are, we are a little bit concerned. I mean, like I said last week, uh, the times when I haven't seen you playing Dragon Age have been rare, rather than the other way around, which uh, is usually the case with you on, on Xbox. It's just been, it's been scary seeing how much Dragon Age you've been playing. So it's good yeah. then. Yeah, it's 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 average. It's it's possible. <laughs> it made me feel like it made me feel like less of a man because in the time that I beat it with one character, you had beaten it with like three, and gotten nine thousand achievement points. And I looked at my character and sighed. <laughs> yeah, but the difference is that you actually slept. <laughs> I did. I did sleep, which is good. Yes. Okay, so on to this week's show, which is not concerning uh, Dragon Age. It's actually uh, concerning everything except Dragon Age, really, because uh, Dragon Age is not an example of what we're talking about. Before I reveal what that is, uh, I think it's better to just ask our guests and Joe uh, what they've been playing. I think it will kind of reveal itself. So let's go to uh, Eddie first. Which games have you been playing, Eddie, recently? Not not just going into it too much detail, just telling us the, the names. Um, well, recently I played Assassin's Creed 2, Infamous Prototype, Uncharted 2, um, that, that's all I could really remember right now. Okay, so we've got, uh, Assassin's Creed 2 and Uncharted 2 there. Uh, Christos, how about you? Assassin's Creed 2, Burnout Paradise, and Avoided Modern Warfare 2. Okay, so as I mentioned, Avoid Modern Warfare 2, but we've got Burnout Paradise, which is a, a Burnout sequel, I might be giving it away now, and, uh, and Assassin's Creed 2, Joe, how about you? Uh, I beat Modern Warfare 2 a couple of weeks ago. I've been playing a lot of Left 4 Dead 2, um, and uh, Professor Layton 2 also. I've been playing quite a bit of that. Wow, so just, just sequels. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, uh, 
for me, it's been uh, Assassin's Creed 2, Left 4 Dead 2, Modern Warfare 2. Goodness sake. I mean, yeah, it's been it's been crazy sequel-wise uh, this silly season. I mean, even New Super Mario Bros. Wii, in a way, is, is kind of a sequel. It's a sequel to the DS game. Uh, Dragon Age is really the only big of the big game in the in the silly season, which is uh, a new IP. And even in some ways, I mean, it's arguable you could it's a successor to to mm-hmm. old Bioware games. Um, so yeah, we are we are talking about sequels today, and uh, basically how there have been a lot of sequels this year. Uh, basically, how there are a lot of sequels in gaming. Full stop. And then we're going to try and go into whether sequels, remakes, uh, iterations are, are they necessarily as bad as uh, some members of the gaming community paint them out to be, or is there more merit to them than is? Uh, immediately uh, apparent anyway so basically this came off the back of a bbc piece early last month on gaming's underperforming sequels of 2009 it was written by uh, david jenkins and he mentioned uh, halo halo 3 odst guitar hero 5 the beatles rock band need for speed and how they'd all been underperforming commercially um he got a quote from that infamous <laughs> and anal- anal- i'll say that again that infamous and anal- i'm going to say that the third time and get it right this time <laughs> Infamous research analyst at Web- Wedbush Securities, Michael Pachter, uh, and uh, the quote was that there are a few games that people really want to buy every year, so annual franchises probably have a user base of two or three times annual sales, with most people buying the game every other year. Uh, when a recession hits, it's easy to pass up a game that the consumer knows is coming out the next year. That was the undoing of Tony Hawk, probably contributed to, de- to declining Guitar Hero sales, and most certainly explains the lack of growth for many EA Sports franchises. I think um, I guess the the only real way I can I can look at what he said is from my own personal perspective, and I know that games that come out on a regular basis, mostly like sports titles and and even Left 4 Dead 2, I, I didn't, um, I didn't pick up because I've just, I still have Left 4 Dead, and I expect it to be very much the same. So yeah, when when you know that games are just are getting new sequels every single year, then it's sort of easy to say, hey, I'll skip this one for now, and I'll go with something original because I only have so much time, I only have so much money, and uh, I would imagine that some other people in the world think that way too. If I had been Jenkins and I had to write that article, I think instead of putting any words on the page, I would have made a graph in Microsoft Excel and a slanted line graph at that. And at one end, I would have put Final Fantasy 14, And at the other end, I would have put Lambie 4 time, 14. Um, <laughs> mainly to illustrate the difference between like sticking with something that everybody loves and Jesus Christ, how are they still getting the funding? Really. I mean, there is, um, I don't know if you remember, but every year Eurogamer do their best games of the last year, like everybody, you know, every other site on the internet. And uh, they did the top 50 games of 2009 and let out, let out, let out, let's try it again, and they left out FIFA 09. And Peter Moore, head of EA Sports, wonderful gentleman, complete idiot, wrote on his blog, somewhere in the region about 500 words criticising how they'd left it out and it was it deserved to be in every top 50 ever and blah 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 blah. I just thought it was a bit surreal that the sales of FIFA 09 are still so high when effectively they've reached a sort of plateau really with the graphics and all they're really doing every year is changing their names around It's interesting because um, FIFA, FIFA 09 did you know get received particularly well um, 
because mainly of uh, they they felt that they tweaked the gameplay to where it was uh, near perfection for that kind of game and uh, you know the 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 FIFA series has been renowned for being too easy too simplistic and they'd really restricted things in that game and uh, and uh, it's interesting like you know that's a very insular way of looking at it that's very much uh, uh, on the inside whereas from the outside it, it can very much come across of all these sports games that you know nothing much is changing each year and and you know it's not a matter of which one's right it's 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 a matter maybe of which side of that you're on um i think that getting a having a yearly installments kind of puts a stigmatism on the game i mean if you look at what the reaction to left 4 dead 2 was people just assumed that that game wasn't really going to add anything significant because it was coming out so close to the original and because so many other yearly sequels like you know, Call of Duty, World at War, and stuff like that really did nothing to improve the core experience of their previous game. Um, I don't know. I think for me, it kind of uh, kind of brings me down a bit to know that, like, hey, I still didn't get around to last year's Guitar Hero, and this year's Guitar Hero is already out, something like that, because um, I kind of like to play everything. I don't really like to skip things. And I think that it also hurts things for me in a bit, because playing World at War last year is what really made me not excited at all for Modern Warfare 2 this year, because I realized it was probably going to be the same damn thing that I played last year, um, just slightly different, maybe with you know modern-day guns. But uh, I don't know. I've kind of always been a fan of uh, the, the, the slow build-up that some companies have done and the yearly installments kind of takes all the excitement away out of waiting for that big game to come out. Mm. Um, it's interesting because Modern Warfare 2 is, is a sequel to Modern Warfare and I guess uh, World at War is, is it's difficult to know whether it, it how to feel about it uh, you know as the in-between game between the two but obviously for you, you it, it dampened your excitement for Modern Warfare 2. Yeah, it's just... Um... You know, it's like, it's really the same game. If you play the actual shooting mechanics of it, they feel exactly the same. So it's like, why would I want to play this again? I just played it last January or so. Um, And the multiplayer, as much as they added, you know, a bunch of drop-in, drop-out, you know, weapons and stuff like that, it really is the same damn thing. And that, for me, really ruined my enjoyment of of the new game. Mm. Uh, I'll, I'll... I'll add another quote that came from this article on BBC, and it was from uh, Fifth Cell's creative director, and I'm hoping I don't get his name wrong, uh, Jeremiah Slatska. Uh, he was talking about his company's directive to make creative games that aren't, in his words, Halo and GTA clones, and the difficulty in getting funding for that. He said, Truly creative games that don't rely on shock value or riding some other successful titles' coattails can be innovative and successful. If we prove the model, then others are sure to follow. And uh, Pacta kind of backed that as well towards the end of the article, saying that 2010 may hold a new hope for more creative IPs. Do you think that, you know, what Pacta's talking about, these uh, poor sales of things like Halo, ODST, and, and Beatles Rock Band, despite getting, you know, reasonable critical reviews, I mean, Beatles Rock Band got very well reviewed, but just hasn't sold maybe as expected. Do you think that is a sign that uh, maybe we're coming to the point where, you know, gamers as, a, as an audience, as a community, as a consumer are getting sick of sequels? Or spin-offs or whatever? I think it's definitely possible. I mean, we've... A, a lot of gamers have been playing games for so many years that eventually there's going to come a time when you're like, well, yeah, I know that's going to be a good game and I'll have fun playing it, but maybe I could play something new and have fun playing it also. You know, so they just might be reticent to to keep buying the same sort of gameplay experience year in and year out. 
I mean, it in history, historically anyway, the fourth game seems to be the breaking point for a lot of series. Like, I mean, I, I know Resident <laughs> Evil is an exception, but um, like Devil May Cry Four wasn't as you know well received as the previous ones. Halo ODST hasn't been as well received as Halo Three was. I mean. I think people have their breaking point. I think Modern Warfare 3 will probably be the breaking point for that series, and then the next big thing will come in and, and, and take over for it. Uh, the general public kind of has a short attention span, I think, and then once you know something else is out, they're pretty ready to move on. So unless there are you know yearly sequels to a game to keep people reminded that these games exist, then I see people moving on more often than not and moving away from sequels a bit. It's interesting to come to your point of uh, the fourth game being the one where where people maybe get reticent of buying any more of that franchise. I mean, last year was particularly profligate in terms of fours. You know, we had uh, Metal Gear Solid 4, we had Devil May Cry 4, like you said, we had Grand Theft Auto 4, and then we knew uh, Street Fighter 4 was around the corner. Uh, And it's interesting looking at that, like, none of them really performed maybe with the exception of Street Fighter 4, as commercially well as expected. Even GTA... Well, I'm going to retract that, because GTA 4 has done pretty damn well. But, you know, in in light of maybe what was expected of it. Right. Even Gran Turismo 4 was a big step down from 3, sales-wise. And, you know, then 5, when they would start talking about that and stuff, and prologue sales have shown that people aren't really there for it like they used to be. I think that, I think that you know, as much as people do want more of the same... Um, I'm talking general public for the most part. I think they do have their breaking point. I think that, you know, Modern Warfare 2 technically is the third game of that type we've received because World at War was very much like Modern Warfare 1. Um, I will be very interested to see how next year's does. Yeah, I mean, going back to Modern Warfare 2, it's uh, the sales have been ridiculous for that. And it, I think they're going to eclipse Modern Warfare uh, Call of Duty 4. By, by some distance in the end of it. We'll see what happens by this time next year. We'll, we'll, know, we'll know more. Um, and I guess you could go, we could look at Assassin's Creed 2, which is done brilliantly in sales. Um, so it's not all been bad news this year for sequels commercially, but it, it does seem like there might be a bit of a, a, bit of a changing tide. Um, what, do you actually, what do you guys actually think of the, the sequels you've played recently? Have they been good or, or bad, or have they stood out as being in any way bad for being a sequel, or have they continued the, the, the series in good light? Um, Christos, you mentioned Assassin's Creed 2. I absolutely love that game, but not for the reason that most people do. I think most people love it because they were like, oh, this is a completely different game, first one, blah, 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 but it's really not. It's extremely, extremely similar, but that's a good thing. The first game I thought was absolutely incredible, but the thing that sucked was the repetition i mean i don't mind repetition i think it's a little bizarre that the same video game critics that were criticizing the three same missions at the same time said that the three same missions in gta 3 were absolutely fine but i suppose it's the chronological difference between the release of both games is probably a factor in that but i thought assassin creed 2 was brilliant i thought it furthered the ideas furthered the genre well it's in its own genre really um the only thing I thought was a bit disappointing at times was the fact that the combat was still a case of whipping your sword out, holding block, and counter-attacking 50 times over, which was did get a little tedious, and also the AI of the guards had gone up, so they blocked a lot more, so instead of just killing someone every time you counter-attacked, you'd be standing there for about half an hour, which is, I suppose, a little frustrating. And the flags are gone, which was depressing, because I like the flags. Oh, you must be the only person who did. Wow. Yeah, you're very, you're like masochistic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I never collected them, but it's that sort of like I 
I know Sinan doesn't, but I really like the fact that there was more of the the real world. I mean, if you removed all the Desmond stuff, it's a well, it's a, a historical drama, really. Right action adventure stuff but if you leave that in it becomes science fiction which is quite weird because it's only about an hour of content but it defines the entire genre of the game but at the same time it also means that it gives them the ability to highlight certain things like the feathers and the flags are surrounded in little glitches which is what I like I like running around and um, seeing the occasional glitch in the distance and that reminds me that I'm playing a science fiction game which is great and he got more screen time this time so you know good for him uh- I, I'll try to avoid going down that tangent, except to say that you know I don't disagree that it's you know science fiction. That's interesting. I just would maybe argue that it's bad science fiction. But uh, there you go. Anyway, I think that might be a loaded <laughs> comment, and I should probably <laughs> avoid talking about it anymore. Um, let, let's let's talk about Left 4 Dead 2 because it's obviously the game which has kind of been at the, the centre of this discussion recently. Um, I, know, I know not all of us have played it, but we all have a, an idea probably of you know what features have been included and. Uh, we all got a chance to play the first game. I know, Eddie, you're saying you still play the first game. Um, we, we talked a bit about this last week, and we were of the opinion that, you know, it's a good enough game that you don't really have to get into the, to the discussion of was it worth coming out or should it have been DLC. But I'd be interested to get um, our, guests for, uh, our guests' thoughts on that. So, uh, Eddie and Christos, what, do you think that uh, it's a bit of a travesty that Left 4 Dead 2 is out as a retail release just under a year after the first game? I have to be honest, I I can't really say until I've had the chance to play it, because uh, without playing it, I expect that it's a fun game that I'd enjoy playing, but I don't know exactly how different the experience would be from the first game. Well, I think we can we could surely take something from your decision to not buy it yet. I mean, what, would you want to go into that? Like you, you, like you said at the top of the show, you, you're fine playing Left 4 Dead at the moment. Yeah, well, I don't see anything really wrong with Left 4 Dead. Like, I didn't think that it was necessary to have Left 4 Dead 2 yet. Um, it's as simple as that, I guess. Um, I guess my reason for not buying it is kind of twofold. One, I suppose, hardware, really, because I don't really... It's not the sort of game I want to play on a console because I like to be very agile when playing first-person shooters, but at the same time, I don't have the hardware to run Left 4 Dead 2 without it looking like, I don't know, like Crash Bandicoot 2, like the <laughs> polygon count would be so low. Um, which is bizarre because I've, my laptop's card I think is 500, was it 512 megabytes, my girlfriend's is 256 and she can run it perfectly and I can't and I have no idea why. Um, that and, I mean it's a good sequel, the improvements are good but at the same time I guess it's just it was never really a game I could get that into simply because after I'd done the campaigns and seen everything, that was really it for me. I mean, had it just been a one long campaign and they'd actually linked in each level by a storyline, for example, getting in the helicopter at the end of No Mercy and crashing the helicopter and getting out somewhere else, that would have been quite good. But as it is, I just sort of, it's a great multiplayer game, but I'm, I'm, definitely more of a tf2 person well i actually think that left 4 dead 2 is sort of an interesting case like you were mentioning uh narrative uh, as part of the reason why it wasn't a compelling sequel for you christos and that's that's sort of why 
I had that sentiment about the game. Like I don't I don't feel that way about all sequels. Like a new sequel doesn't automatically mean that it's just the same game so I can play the first one. It just has to do with the type of gameplay and uh storytelling involved in Left 4 Dead. It's basically more about just getting in there and gaming as opposed to really seeing new stuff or or experiencing um new narrative and that's probably more of what kept me away from that as opposed to maybe some other sequel you know two three four five whatever i think that they kind of addressed that in left for dead 2 they put a bit more narrative in there um it's still there's no cutscenes or anything like that but they do uh every campaign leads into the next a little bit uh, better than it did in the first and the characters like they they go from not knowing each other in the first campaign to being very familiar with each other in the last they they do definitely address that a bit um, but I still wouldn't say that, you know, if you do the campaigns out of order, you're not going to know what's going on. You're going to be totally lost. I, I don't think that at all. Um, but I think that Left 4 Dead really highlights something that is kind of a problem. I mean, you know, in a way, all sequels kind of should be left uh, DLC at this point. Um, like, if you look at something like the Gears of War series, I mean, Gears of War 2 was the same engine, the same pretty much everything as Gears of War 1. And it could have very well just have been a download. But because you know, a box retail is where all the money is, they put it out on a disc. And I think that's the same thing that happened with Left 4 Dead 2. They probably would have released that as DLC if they could have, but they didn't. Um, you know, and Madden, every single sports game every year really could just be a pack that you download, it patches your game, and you're done. You could technically make every single game into a an engine to fuel further games, but they don't do that because the money is at retail, because people aren't connected to the internet, and because of everything. So I think it, more than anything else, that's what drives sequels, is that you know the money is in the stores, and you have to put a two on the box to make people buy it, because if you just put a subtitle there, it's not going to sell as well. I will, I will jump on your face slightly about the Gears of War 2 thing, because technically it could use the, un, the Unreal 3 engine. I mean, okay, admittedly it wasn't that big a difference, but the fucking MeCube was just like... You could have shown me anything at E3, but cube of me, like as a Greek person, that's like you know, that's 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 like seeing God for the first time. It's awesome. But... Did you just liken God to a cube of meat? <laughs> yeah, essentially. Like I have very small, like little agnostic views, man. Like I don't believe in anything outside of you know Lex and food, and then that's my like you know, on my gamer score, and that's that's. That's all I really need to consider the world by. But I completely agree, I think, unless unless you have got a number on the end of the box, because I don't think um, World of War sort of sold anywhere near as near as well as it could have done. I mean, but I think that was simply because people were looking for Modern Warfare 2. Personally, I think I must be the only person on my friends list that hasn't played it, simply because I went on the internet and I looked at a video of the... That, that level, the airport level. And i got to be honest, it did kind of... I knew it was unrelated, and I knew, like, the story behind it and blah, 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 but still, I was just like, this is a very different sort of much scarier, much darker experience. Even though it had the two on the box, I was kind of like, no. Nah. It's interesting, the, the two examples we're talking about here, Left 4 Dead 2 and Modern Warfare 2, because what you, one thing you're kind of getting at, Crystals, is that with Modern Warfare 2, they really felt they had to um, up the narrative ante really make it as spectacular and uh, and uh, for you maybe there wasn't a decision but it came out as contrived as possible to me um you know the story really yeah. went in 
weird directions and it got a very 24 feel which the first game didn't have um whereas with with left for dead 2 it's very much a the the uh cliffy b or we should call him cliff Brzezinski these days uh, approach to things you know bigger better and more or more badass as to, to be more specific <laughs> but uh you know there, there really was just as much as they could put into that engine uh, in terms of additions and not much tweaking of the actual gameplay except, you know, some people will argue the melee weapons. I, I think they, they are great, but uh, it's not a huge tweak to the gameplay. It, and um, what I'm trying to get at is that it, none of those games really greatly shifted what was going on from the first game uh, for me. Like, I, I could still see the core of the first game in, in both of those games. I was wondering if either of you disagreed. And, and to bring it to Assassin's Creed 2 as well. Like, was there anything in those sequels that that made you feel like this was a, a really separate, different video game? Yeah, I mean, what I thought the most interesting bit, I mean, I've talked about the sequel already, but what I really thought was genius was the fact that a lot of the criticisms were aimed at the monetary system introduced. I mean, you had, um, I'm not going to try and pronounce it, so I'll just call it the villa and the town surrounding it. Um, I'm sure, you know, obviously being either Sicilian or Italian, he's never quite defined, but Eddie being of that general nationality could probably do that name far more justice than I ever will. But I thought what was really interesting was a lot of people were like, well, why is there money in the game? Why have you introduced this? Are you just trying to make it more of an RPG experience? But when in reality, if you read into the story, um, at the time it was set in the 15th century, um, banking, like using coins rather than trading uh, actual materials for other materials and services was only just coming into play. So I think it's quite... It was quite an interesting way of introducing a new mechanic that had actually specifically set this in the Renaissance for so many reasons, because the Renaissance was a time of progression, and thus the game progressed into a completely different animal. For me, uh, I do take on board that it was it's, it's it's reflecting an important movement in that time of history. And I think actually in, in, in many respects Assassin's Creed 2 does a much better job of that than its predecessor, of reflecting that particular period of history and what's going on and uh the values in particular um then then its predecessor did but uh to me you know looking at it from a purely gameplay standpoint that's dressing and a lot of the things in assassin's creed 2 are dressing uh and you know you can argue that there's lots of the dressing I, i would say that uh it really should have been there in the first game and that and that's why the first game was so uh well, it got such mixed reviews because a lot of people were overawed by that engine, but uh, it became so repetitive because things like the different ways to assassinate people, uh, the different things to do in these cities weren't there. So um, to me, Assassin's Creed 2 felt very much like a a sequel and an embellishment of a previous game. Uncharted 2, I think, it does so many different things that it, it, it stands out as its own game. I think uh, it, it changes tack in, uh, from the first game in a lot of ways in terms of uh, in terms of the narrative, in terms of uh, what you're actually doing. You know, there's a lot more emphasis on 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 just enjoying what's around you rather than actually shooting down people. Um, so I, I guess I kind of agree with you. Yeah, I would agree with that. Also, I think Uncharted 2 kind of stood out in a way that. Um, games like Halo 3 ODST and uh, you know even I guess Left 4 Dead 2 to a certain extent didn't um, 
yeah, I mean, there is a clear line between the sequels that, you know, kind of just add, 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 and the sequels that actually try and branch out quite a bit. I mean, you know, every Final Fantasy game, for the most part, they're kind of different from one another in many ways, um, which is probably why they take six or seven years to make. Um, and they're, I mean, it, well, that's another argument altogether, though, because those are pretty much sequels just in name. Um, we, we've, we've, we've had this discussion, haven't we, on, on our Final Fantasy episode? Yeah. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I think that it's, you know, if you look at something like the new uh, Medal of Honor, though, for example, like that clearly um, it's literally just a a it's a it's a me too sequel that they basically are piggybacking on the success of Modern Warfare with. And B, it's, you know, some EA board guy saying, hey, well, we have this name in the past that people know and that people have played a lot of games on. Let's just stick this on our new shooter our modern day shooters so that people will buy it. Um so if that even can be called a sequel, despite the name on it, is is kind of arguable. It's like a big incestuous mess, isn't mm. it? It's lovely. Yeah. It really is. It says, and it doesn't sound like a whole host of new ideas are going to come from anything of, of, of that nature. I mean... No, it's Modern Warfare. Yeah. yeah. Modern Warfare. <laughs> I mean, just to to try and avoid maybe picking too much into those sequels that are out now and trying to get into something which I think, you know, Left 4 Left Dead 2 uh, specifically highlights, is that we've always had a problem with sports iterations, you know, yearly iterations of sports games like Madden, uh, you know, there's Madden, uh, I think it's from, was it Madden 03? There's been a, was it Madden 93 even, where there's been a, a yearly uh, version of that game. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, there's things like FIFA and Pro Evolution Soccer in, in uh, Europe, predominantly, you know, the, the soccer games, which uh, basically they're judged against each other each year. And no one really seems to judge them against the, the previous versions anymore. Uh, it's interesting to then go to Left 4 Dead 2, which is in many ways a yearly iteration, if you get my drift. You know, it's, it's come out almost a year after the first game. Uh, it doesn't really feel like anything's much changed. Uh, and yet people are getting on its back so much. Uh, there was this huge, you know, petition that didn't really seem to, you know, be very effective, but uh, was against the game, you know, coming out from, uh, I think it was Valve, this Valve contingency, and uh, I think they managed to get actually 40,000 names or something, but obviously, you know, the sales have not been affected. What, what I'm trying to get at is, is there any difference between something like Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2 and, you know, FIFA 9 and FIFA 10? Is that, is one more justified than the other? This isn't something that I would normally do, but I, I guess I can defend sports titles in that they are always changing, like the sports in real life are always changing rosters, teams, and things like that. Um, so maybe they have had in the past reason to do it, but now in the day of DLC, why can't you just download all the new rosters and new players that come along each year if you're not going to really add anything new to the gameplay? But in terms of, like in Left 4 Dead, it's sort of the same thing except it's an imaginary roster of characters. It doesn't make as much sense that Left 4 Dead 2 is getting so much flack compared to sports games, and I think people aren't looking at them in that same yearly iterative uh, light. Okay, well maybe something uh, which is which have had a longer history of being in a, in a yearly iterative light, as you put it, the Guitar Hero and Rock Band games. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've had Guitar Hero three to five over the course of three years. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on that? It, it, does that seem to annoy more than something like Left 4 Dead 2 or annoy you guys more than something like Left 4 Dead 2? Again, I think it's what I said before. I think it's more for retail than anything. You know, I think EA especially would love to just put 
or the rock band guys, Harmonix, would love to just put all their songs online and have people download them, you know, the way they want. But I think EA kind of invented this model. I mean, if you look back to like last gen, EA kind of got into that groove of every year we'll have a Bond game, every year we'll have a Harry Potter game, every year we'll have uh, some type of fighting game or some type of you know a boxing something like that. They they kind of invented the whole you know taking not just sports as a yearly franchise, but like action games, adventure games, licensed games. EA was the, the champion of that, and now Activision has kind of grabbed that by the horns and, and ran with it. Um, I think that it's... Uh, I mean, it's acceptable. It's kind of just this thing that we've all grown to, to adjust to and to, to notice, but I don't think that now that the technology is there to get rid of this, I don't really see the excuse for it anymore, aside from the fact that, you know, yes, some people do not have online yet. Um, I think that for Left 4 Dead 2, I think it was just a... I think that was more Valve than anything else. I think if any other team had put that game out, I don't really think there would have been any flack against it. I think it was just that, you know, Valve had given so many much back to people over the years that, you know, them putting out a back-to-back sequel kind of surprised a lot of people. Um just you know, look at how little reaction there will be to when Modern War, uh, when uh, the next Call of Duty is announced for November 2010. I don't think people will be complaining at all, um, just because they accept it in that case uh, more so than you know from a Valve series. Okay, so well, I think one thing you're kind of getting at there, Joe, is, is the difference between you know a game which doesn't have a, maybe slightly tweaks its gameplay from year to year, like a sports game, like a rhythm game. Um, and even with rhythm games, you know, it's, it's more to do with the songs included and, and very minor embellishments. And maybe something like Left 4 Dead 2, Assassin's Creed 2, Modern Warfare 2, which have narrative embellishments. And, uh, you know, that brings about the comparison between something like uh, television and movies and, and video games. You know, we have uh, yearly series of 24 or, and, and Lost or whatever, all these uh, hit dramas. Uh, is something like, you know, Modern Warfare 2 or, or the Call of Duty franchise acceptable when you compare it to something like, you know, a, t- a TV series which has yearly iterations? That sort of supports how I looked at Left 4 Dead 2 compared to other sequels. Like I was saying, with these uh, TV series and movie sequels, it's all about the story. You're not You're not putting anything in. So if you're getting new information with... Uh, each sequel then it's sort of easier to overlook that it is a sequel because it's still something brand new even though it has that same name yeah but i mean if you if to take the other side of it if if every year a new halo game came out and it always continued the narrative i don't think it would be looked at in the same way as it would for like a tv show I think people would look down on the Halo series for you know doing the same thing every year, just a little bit more of the story, a little bit more of the story, because uh, video games just aren't looked at the same way as, as films and TV series are. Well, look, 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 let's look at something like Uncharted 2, which doesn't actually radically change its control system or anything like that. You know, okay, it, it, it maybe changes its focus, but uh, and, and the, there is a visual improvement noticeably. But uh, apart from that, it's, it's, it feels more like a, a new story then maybe a new game. Uh, is that maybe the exception that proves that there's that there is hope for like you know narrative iterations of video games? Well, if you look at um, the two games coming out early next year, you've got Mass Effect Two and Bioshock Two. Obviously, both really good examples of sequels, but at either end of the spectrums in terms of what you're talking about in terms of narrative, because you've got Mass Effect 2, which is obviously carrying on the narrative that you created yourself in um, 
John or Jane Shepherd, whatever you decided to call them, which is great because you've had a personal investment in that person's character, their story, their personality, and you get to see a development of that. But at the same time, although the locations may be different, you know, you're still struggling with some game mechanics. I mean, like, the, the animation while talking is still pretty robotic. You know, he still steers like a fucking tank, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, you're still furthering the narrative, whereas with Bioshock 2, you've got a whole new swathe of Rapture to explore. The environment is different. The game mechanics are different. But ultimately, you are a prototype Big Daddy, so there's really not as much story you can reveal. Admittedly, they didn't reveal a lot for Jack in the first game right up until the end, but there was still kind of a progressive series of flashbacks and um, reiterations of the, the would you kindly stuff. So I suppose, really, you've got to kind of find a balance between focusing on really improving the gameplay or really furthering the narrative. I can't really... I can't really think of any that sort of hit the balance right on. I think it's tough because like for a movie or a TV show to do it every year, A, it's pretty easy to make. You've got everything in place. And B, you know, as Eddie said, there's no real input from the, from the, from the players. So there's really nothing that they have to do to make that entertaining. Whereas games, you know, if you make the same game every year, and no matter how great the narrative is, if you don't significantly improve what the people are playing, they're not going to want to play it just because, you know, like I've said about Call of Duty, I don't want to do the same thing every year. I'm tired of that type of shooting. Um, and I think that's why I don't think we'll ever see like a yearly Uncharted series or a yearly Halo series because it just won't last like a TV show or like a movie series would. So I'm going to have to disagree with you there, Joe, because I think one of the big things that has been forcing us into this kind of has to be bigger, better and, and more badass approach to uh, video game sequels is visuals. And I think we've gone to a point where uh, you can't necessarily improve visuals that much, uh, at least with the, you know, without you know going into whole new scopes for how we play video games. You know, in terms of uh, using the technology we have at the moment, there there really isn't much more you can do with visuals, and uh, you know that's that's one big focus taken away, and that just leaves really uh, gameplay online story. Uh, you know, as the three three major areas you can do something with a video game to improve it, and uh, you know, this if you screw around with the gameplay too much, you're you've got a chance of alienating your audience. I think what Uncharted Two proves is that uh, if you if you try to find another area to explore, you can actually produce something successful and uh, engaging. And uh, I, I think Uncharted Two, in many ways, as much as I I think it is a little bit overrated by by the press, I think uh, it's it's an important video game in that respect. Sure, but I also don't think that could be done every year. Maybe not every year, but think, it, it's two years since it came out. It's not, it's not right. huge. The buy-year cycle is fine. I think, you know, for video games, that's kind of the, the, the acceptable amount of time to wait for a big sequel like that. Okay. Um, as opposed to, you know, like the Saw movies every year or, the, you know, the, the three Pirates of Caribbean movies back to back to back. I think two years is, is kind of acceptable for a game. I think if Left 4 Dead 2 had come out next year, there wouldn't have been a peep. In fact, there would have been much excitement before it came out. There wouldn't have been a peep about it being too soon or anything like that. Um, but when it's under a year, it kind of becomes this different thing where people are looking down on it in a certain way. Well, as we've been talking, I've been trying to figure out what is more important in a sequel, um, either the gameplay end of it being improved or the narrative. And I think I was trying to think what what drives me to really play the sequel more. And really, I think it comes down to the type of game itself. I mean, some games I only want to play because there's a new narrative. But other games, I'm 
the, the narrative isn't as important. So I think it really depends on on what game you're playing and what game you're looking at for a sequel. And in some games that are heavily narrative-driven, um, then, yeah, I th- think they can survive based on that. But other games need to focus on their strengths in order to have iterations year after year. So really, it the, the developers need to look at what their strengths are and play to that if they want to continue to put out a product at, on at regular intervals. I feel like I, I, I need to maybe contradict myself a little bit thinking about um, Uncharted uh, because and, and going to Bioshock as well because both of those games have introduced multiplayer. So there obviously was a little bit of a, a lack of confidence in just maybe pursuing something with a single player with those games. And going back to Bioshock, that's a game which a lot of people feel shouldn't have a sequel. Now, is that because I don't? That's obviously not just a problem with video games. There are plenty of movies and TV shows and whatever that just should not have sequels. But is it is it maybe a more bigger, a more bigger? Is it maybe a bigger problem for video games because there is so much to be found in an IP in that industry? I think with the Bioshock example, definitely. I mean, if honestly you played through Bioshock and you finished the game, you saw everything there is to see, a thousand out of a thousand G or whatever the game score is post-DLC, and you didn't want to go back and find out more. I mean, the whole point of Jack's experience of Rapture and being the new guy was that he knew absolutely nothing, whereas there were two main threads you could follow, which is what happens uh, post the events of Bioshock 1, and what I'm hoping they'll pursue in the same manner that they finished the Star Wars trilogy and then they went back, which is they'll finish this trilogy and then hopefully you could possibly go back to pre-New uh, Year's Eve 1959 um, when Rapture was fine and it all worked. And you could go in any direction with that. You could you know, you could even have it... <laughs> you could pitch it as SimCity if you <laughs> wanted, really. Um, just shift it all into the, the Atlantic. But... Bioshock had such an impact in terms of environment. I didn't actually uh, agree at all with multiplayer for Bioshock. I think the way they worked it in was pretty clever with test subjects and stuff like that. But Fontaine Futuristics and the, the Big Daddy suit—it's just—it's kind of—it's worked it in a bit in a bit of a gimmicky fashion, especially considering they hired a external company. I mean, it's f- to start off with, it's not the same company doing the sequel. I mean, the guy that created Rapture isn't even involved with the project. And now they're bringing in, I think it's three different companies working on the sequel alone. Right. And hmm. I didn't, I wasn't even aware that Enchanted, uh, Enchanted, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that because it made me want a PS3. I'll, I'll, I'll say that definitely. Um, Enchanted 2, I wasn't aware had a multiplayer. But that strikes me as really bizarre because all the videos I've seen make it look like one of the best single-player experiences you could possibly have in the next five to ten years. Because it's also cinematic and there's tons of set pieces and I just all the things that makes that game so beautiful to someone that hasn't played it, I just don't really think would factor into something as gimmicky. But at the same time, note that you've got a game like Modern Warfare 2 or just Modern Warfare that put tons of emphasis on its multiplayer. The multiplayer was the main facet of the game, but Infinity Ward assigned no achievements whatsoever to the multiplayer, believing that achievements should be for single player, because multiplayer, you play for the enjoyment of playing with other people. And I think in terms of sequels and encouraging the two camps, the single player camp and the multiplayer camp to play, 
I can't really think of a better example of encouraging both groups to invest in the future of the franchise. It's an interesting point, actually. And uh, to go to Uncharted 2 multiplayer, because I know, Joe, when you talked with, uh, with Zan and Jeff, you, you guys were quite big on, on the multiplayer. That, and it, was a, it was a surprisingly good inclusion. Um, mm. you, it's interesting. Do you think the multiplayer was there because it's a sequel? It has to be a sequel with, with more stuff? Or is that just Sony saying, if we don't put multiplayer in this game, it's going to get rented and we're not going to sell it? Absolutely the latter. It's the it's the way things have to be now. To be that AAA big game that's going to sell a million copies, you kind of have to have a little bit of everything. That game had a co-op mode, that game had a, a multiplayer mode, and that game had a single-player mode. It, it covered all three bases, I think, that you have to cover, um, especially in a corporate eyes. I mean, we had... Uh, we had uh, Kelly Santiago from that game company on a couple of weeks ago, and what did she say to us? That they, you know, the, the corporate people tell them they have to put certain things in their games for it to go out. And I think that um, Uncharted definitely, I think Naughty Dog did well with what they had to work with in that thing. And I think the news that Dead Space 2 is going to have a multiplayer mode uh, coming out this week, I think that is a, a perfect example of why, you know, these things are kind of being shoved where they don't belong um, in many cases. To, to, to then go to to Bioshock and Rapture because I think it's it's a very good example, Christos, and, and to, to mention the environment, the world was probably the most exciting thing about that that game for for many people. Um, a, a good comparison is uh, Half Life, Half Life Two, and uh, how they've done their sequels in this episodic nature. What what do you guys think of how Valve have been approaching the Half Life series with you know episodes one, episodes two? I think it, I think it worked very well. I mean, I bought the orange box and I, I touched on Half Life and. Interestingly, I didn't really know that much. I mean, when I was really, really young, the first game came out, um, I saw it at friends on a computer, and I think my only memory of that was being, wow, what a weird elevator, and holy shit, headcrabs are disgusting. <laughs> but I was young, and then I grew up, and I bought the orange box, <laughs> obviously in a slightly larger space of time. I think I actually played a bit of Half-Life 2, and then a bit of Episode 1, and a bit of Episode 2, because I didn't understand they were actually progressive in terms of narrative. Um... And my girlfriend is probably the biggest Half-Life fan I know. Massive Half-Life fan. And she told me to play them through them in order. And I thought it was brilliant because it was like watching... I think Half-Life 2 was fantastic in terms of innovation, gameplay, mechanics, engine, etc. Episode 1 and 2 were like watching the best films ever. It was like seeing Lord of the Rings but not having read the books because there were these amazing stories that branched over the course of hours and hours or days if you want to watch the extended Lord of the Rings, I suppose. Um, and then you know obviously we've been waiting I don't know I actually think they'll cure cancer and then episode 3 will come out <laughs> uh, possibly if Valve don't if if that's not what Valve are doing instead of making episode 3 which is a shame because episode 1 they built up the ante very well they explored the universe explained more about the combine episode 2 even more I'm not going to ruin the end of the second one because I, I accidentally read it on a wiki which is heartbreaking but you know, people die, people disappear, you know, shit happens. But they leave it on such a massive cliffhanger, and then they sort of, they grabbed a ton of their stuff, because obviously at Valve, no one actually has a job title or a department. They're all just individually recruited from different mediums. Um, and stuck them on Left for Dead, stuck them on the ongoing TF2 team, and as a result, nothing that much was getting developed. So, yeah, I think it is the best way, because I think when when it does come out, I think you'll probably see the highest sales of that in the PC market for the next five years. It will be the Titanic of game releases. 
but at the same time, I think that's why people were moaning about Left 4 Dead 2. I don't think it was just because it was a sequel. It was because it was made by the ga- the company and, for that matter, the staff, um, you know, that were supposed to be, according to fans and myself, to be honest, working on Episode 2, which is obviously you've probably seen in the news there was a guy in Australia who was leading the protest group who said, well, you know, come on, Gabe Newell, if you're such a man, come over here to Australia and talk about it. So he said, okay, if you fly me over, I'll come over and talk about it. And he did. He went over to Australia and he gave an hour-long talk on why Left 4 Dead 2 was so great. And they all left, and then they all bought the game. <laughs> so not only is he the best salesman ever, but he's willing to defend the sequels. And I think that's what a lot of people are lacking. Like, he gave an hour talk on progression of narrative character games design. Uh, the SDK being better. Uh, downloadable, Future downloadable content free, obviously, is the Valve um, being better. And then on the other hand, you had um, Cliffy B, in true Cliffy B style, I won't call him Plezinski, because this is Cliffy B, <laughs> uh, bigger, badder, and more badass. And it was just, you know, it's just, I think he let he let the sequel down a bit, because before it had even been released, he sort of hit it with the frat boy mallet, right. which was a shame, because <laughs> then people didn't take it seriously. Everyone was like, me cube, and tons of locusts, and bigger, badder, and more badass. And then before I knew it, there was like... You know, interviews going up with like there were NBA stars and NFL stars saying, "Oh, I play this game," and I was like, "Well, you know, <laughs> that kind of counts me out because I can, you know, I can barely lift an American football, let alone, you know, identify with the sort of games that they play." There is a still a strong argument that this game could have been Left 4 Dead Episode Two. You know, it could have been yeah. a DLC release. Uh, and as much as you know, like, going back to going back to Left 4 Dead Two, like. Joe, we, we, were, we were very positive about it uh, in our show last week, but could it not have been a DLC release at maybe two-thirds of the price? Absolutely. If if the market was there to support that, um, it would have been a DLC release. I think that you know it sold two million copies in one week, I believe, is what the, the numbers came out that said. Um, had that been DLC, it probably would have still sold two million copies, but they would have made an eighth of the profits on that. And I think that's the problem. I think that you know, if if the shift does happen in the next gens or whatever it is that where everyone is downloading everything and that's it, I think we will not get the sequels. I think everything will just be kind of expanded upon every couple months. Here's something new. Here's something new. I think that you know, games will be more platform based. I think that like you know, for example, the Halo trilogy. I think that instead of just putting out a sequel and getting rid of all the old stuff, I think they'll just keep all the new the old stuff in there, and you'll have you know triple the maps when the the new stuff comes out to play with. I think that it's it's a very it's the way things need to move, I think, um, especially since older games tend to get abandoned in our in the way things are now. Retail releases, um, I think, digitally, you know, that stuff can survive, and those those prequels can still live on in some way. Um, but I think until you know more people get damn broadband, I think we're still going to see these yearly iterative releases that could very well have just been a download that took ten minutes to install. Definitely, but do you not think ODST would have been a better game had it been DLC? I mean, like, had they integrated? Um, had they integrated the game into the current Halo 3 engine instead of releasing the two separate discs for multiplayer and a campaign, not only would matchmaking have had full Xbox Live capabilities um, in terms of firefight, which I think is the only thing that really ruins that mode is not being able to do it with four random people a la Left 4 Dead, but it just would have been so much more integrated with the rest of the experience. I think that's why people criticised it so much, because the campaign, in my opinion, is better than Halo 3's and because it does something completely different but then and then you've got firefight and you're like yeah and then you find out that you've got 
you know, you need to play it with friends. And I'm like, awesome, I'll play it with friends. And I look at my friends list and it's just like this massive 20 long list of uh, Modern Warfare 2. And I'm like, no. (laughs) What's the thing? Like I I was saying, you know, if if things are built as platforms, for example, look at Modern Warfare. Like they released Modern Warfare 2 and, you know, people are still playing Modern Warfare 1. You can go on there, you can get games. But had it been just built into the architecture of Modern Warfare 1, you'd be able to access all of that content from within the same game. And I think that's the way we're going to see things moving in the future. I think ODST kind of did that, where they put all the new stuff on a second disc with all the old stuff and said, here you go, have fun with it. But um, I think that stuff like, you know, like Gears of War 2 should have had all the stuff from Gears of War 1. It should have just been one cohesive package. Um, Left 4 Dead 2 should have had access to all the stuff from Left 4 Dead 1. Um, and I, I, I have a feeling that Valve will do that at some point. They'll patch that stuff in. But um, I think that that's once we do get a download, you know, a download console, a download only console, I think we'll start seeing that stuff. But uh, it, it really is a shame that the way that sequels are kind of just, you know, not only forgetting the stuff that's happened in the past, but also pretty much just providing the same experience for a full price. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good way to go about sequels that operate on generally the same rules as their predecessors. But then you also have these other sequels that kind of just take the name and and cheapen it um, just for sales purposes. Like you have games getting sequels that have no business having sequels. Like even Bioshock, I thought that that game was fine just as a complete story done. Or, or like if... They decided to make a Shadow of the Colossus sequel. I would be I would be totally appalled at something like that. But in today's video game uh, business, I can see things like that happening. Games that are totally perfectly complete, just getting a new a new uh, entry just for the sake of having that name and being recognizable. And I think while we're getting the sequels that build upon and include their predecessors, we should also be losing the sequels that only take the name of their predecessors and do things differently. They should just be new new games, new IPs, right. new just new stuff, whatever. And not necessarily um, play off of uh, that developer's previous games. Battlefield Bad Company in a way was like that because that was pretty much a new IP that they slapped the Battlefield right. name onto to sell copies. Exactly, it was very different from from the previous games. Well, the, the question that leads from that then is: uh, let's say uh, 2K and uh, and Ken Levine, whatever, they decide to make a new IP um, after the success of Bioshock, and they they say, we, "We know Bioshock is a standalone game. We we shouldn't make a sequel of, of it. We're going to release a new IP. Yeah, try and maybe take some of the ideas, but we want it to be a whole new thing." Do you think? Do you think the audience is knowledgeable enough to support developers who, of the games they love to, to allow for a new IP by uh, a trusted developer to actually succeed in the market? Well, that comes back to what you were saying earlier um, about, or what somebody was saying earlier about stamping a two on the box to make it recognizable. Um, having been playing video games for so long, I feel like it's easy for us to, to lose perspective and think that everyone knows who's developing every game when maybe they don't. <laughs> maybe people have no idea who's developing these games and they just see the titles. Um, but for me, it's like I know the developer, I know the publisher, I know the history of games that I'm familiar with, and that's a lot of them. 
And I think it's like that for most video game critics and whatever else we want to call ourselves. I mean, which developers do you guys think actually could get away with that at this stage? That could release a new IP, and uh, just because it's by them, it's going to Kojima. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interesting, because Kojima games don't necessarily sell on their own anyway. You could argue Metal Gear Solid Four didn't exactly do it brilliantly. Neither did any of his handheld efforts, like Botkai and all those other weird things that he did. Um, I don't know if many developers would really be able to get away with that. I think, like, even if, you know... I mean, even Valve said that, you know, they don't have all the money that they want to make all the games that they want to make a couple of weeks ago. Um, they have games that are sitting there, you know, without the money to make them, which I think is very interesting considering the success that they've had. I think even Bungie, if they, you know, branch out and they make a non-shooter, something really strange and weird, I don't necessarily think that's going to be a blockbuster. Um nor Infinity Ward, unless their next game is a first-person shooter, I don't necessarily think it's going to be a huge hit. I was going to say uh, Infinity Ward would be one I would suggest, actually. I think uh, they've... If they, if they put on their box by the people who made Call of Duty Modern Warfare, uh, then and, and, it, and like you say, it is a first-person shooter, then I think... It oh, sure, a first-person right. shooter, That's... but if they made a racing game, then I don't really see it. Well, then, I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, the neither do I. Dice, I mean, <laughs> That's Dice very had good all point you make, though. That's a very good point you make, though, Sin, and, like, in movies, a lot of times you see from the director of, from the producer of, if video games started doing that, then you would still have that name-on-the-box phenomenon going on, but you could have new material. I think there's, a, there's another thing holding it back, and, we're, and it's uh, developers' comfort zones, isn't it? You know, uh, are developers comfortable making a, a series in an engine that they've developed over time? Uh, so, like Joe says, Infinity Ward aren't going to suddenly go. You know what? You know what we need to make a racing game. <laughs> they're they're very happy making a first person shooter. They and they're very happy making it in wartime uh, settings. And uh, modern warfare for them is like a huge jump in terms of what we're doing with a with our engine, what with our capabilities. You know, and for, well, on the outside, we're thinking, oh, that's cool, but it's not a huge jump, really, is it? You're still making a war based first person. Well, a student in university majoring in a subject and that. That's what they specialize in, and that's what they improve upon throughout their careers, as opposed to jumping around and starting over. Yeah, I, I can understand that. And if you look what Bizarre Creations and uh, Criterion did, they both kind of branched out from what they were used to. Uh, both of them kind of had made racers all their times, and then both went on to make shooters. And in both of those cases, neither found the success that their previous games had, had brought them, even though the, you know, those games that they had made, which were uh, The Club and Black, both of them were pretty good, or solid. Very good. Um, and yet, neither achieved the success of Burnout or Project Gotham. And I think that's one could argue, though. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> one could argue, though, that um, the club sort of was a racing game. Yeah, it was a. Think about it. A racer shooter, absolutely. <laughs> um, that I actually really enjoyed. Um, I was just actually, I've been completely riveted by one thought since Joe started talking about um, Battlefield Bad Company, which seems, you know, kind of makes me look like I'm about 70 years old, but it was just, um, what about Fallout 3 with a company taking an IP that was very, very rigidly stuck in one genre, but such a niche aspect of the RPG genre, and then turning it into what is, in, one, in my opinion, probably one of the best games of the last 10 years. If you if you look at it from another perspective, I mean, you you said you know you've got uh, Kojima making various games and stuff, but on the other hand, you've got people that are taking over 
other franchises and in some rare cases um, making a massive improvement. I mean, uh, the new uh, 2K Marin might actually prove themselves as a better developer if Bioshock 2 turns out to be a better game. Whereas, you know, a lot of people cry bloody murder over Fallout 3 and then played it and then realized it was essentially Oblivion with guns, which really you can't give it any higher compliments, I suppose, than using that phrase. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's a it's a really interesting example because, like you say, Bethesda, they, they, they made Oblivion and they really added to that game over time you know they didn't just leave it and move on to a new a new idea uh, and of course it's it's the fourth in that series people seem to forget that it's part of the elder scroll series mm. um and and then you've got this forgotten franchise fallout which they come to and resurrect and uh they don't they don't uh taint it you know they don't they don't forget what you know what it was in its first two games but they they do bring it into into the modern day uh, era with this whole new way of uh, looking at it in this uh, third person RPG sense, which, uh, you know, just it, it, it was like this perfect mesh, which didn't really seem like it would work on paper, but does in actuality. And then that game on the back of that builds up this hype from doing so well at shows, you know, repeatedly impressing when it's been previewed. And then suddenly it becomes this huge seller and it doesn't seem like it should be able to. And yet, it feels like everything worked out for that game to sell really well. Almost such a unique situation to bring back a game so old and completely reinvent it and basically create a new game that, I don't know, that uh, there necessarily is a lesson that you can apply in general to the way things work in the industry. Although I could say to to agree with what I said before rather than contradict myself that maybe it shouldn't have been called Fallout 3 um, maybe they could have just made their own game and it would have been fine but the Fallout name helped them as a business to sell that game I think it took guts to put 3 on the end of that game I mean because you know if you put a dot dot uh, and then something else it would kind of work as an expansion um you know, it's a different type, a spinoff, if even. But uh, mm-hmm. to put the actual three on there is really solid. They're saying this is the continuation of that series. And if you like the old series, you have to pay attention to this one, even though you ignored the last five years of spinoffs that we've been doing uh, with the stupid overhead you know, hack and slash games they tried to do. Um, it's the same way that, you know, if, if new Super Mario Brothers Wii had been Super Mario Brothers 4, how differently that game would have been looked at. Well, to, to go from that, Eddie, you bring up, Something which is I can't believe we haven't talked about it yet, which is the Prince of Persia series. You know, we've we we've just heard the news that they're going back to the Sands of Time arc, mm. uh, which is a very interesting decision. I'll, we'll we'll come back to that in a second. But of course, last year we had Prince of Persia, which uh, I don't know how you guys feel, but to me that feels like a, a game which has a name which g- could have been anything, and yet they just went with Prince of Persia because that's their series. Uh, right. You know, I, I don't know if anyone if if I'm missing something that happened in. in you know, the free games beforehand or relates to the original platformer. But to me, that could have been a game with any name. I agree, but I also think that going back to the previous series is is a very awkward and weird decision that I'm not sure is going to work out because it's been so long since any of those games have come out. Do you think it's a lack of faith in how Prince of Persia did? Because it sold yeah. well, but it didn't get necessarily receive that well across the board. I think that Prince of Persia 2, and I mean the, the, the current gen game, the sequel to that, um, I think had that 
come out had they actually put the time and the money into that that they put into something like Assassin's Creed 2 it could have been that jump like there I think there is a great game in there waiting to come out just like there was with Assassin's Creed 1 but I think because they have the movie coming out and because the the last one didn't exactly set the world on fire I think that Ubisoft just kind of they wanted to go with what works and wanted to be safe and that's why they're jumping back to the old ones and I don't really think that people have the attachment to that old trilogy that Ubisoft thinks they do Right. Um, I think that those three kind of ran their course, and I mean, I'm I'm ready to be done with that series. I'm ready for them to move on. Um, I'm not really sure where their public perception, uh, what they think public perception is of those games, but I think they're going to be very surprised when this one sells worse than the last one did because I think it will. I think they've been reading my diary, actually. <laughs> that, that's where they got it from, um, because I thought the new Prince of Persia just was like. A, a junior version of the Sands of Time series. And I really see the Sands of Time series in Assassin's Creed 2, believe it or not, in all of the Assassin's Tombs areas. I, I can see the, that part of the game becoming a fully expressed Sands of Time uh, reimagining because it felt to me just like the old Sands of Time games. And I think that they could do really well using similar gameplay. Like Eddie said, with Prince of Persia, it was kind of... I don't know, I mean, I, I can't remember what the blurb on the back of the box is. Um, probably because I think I traded it in, which kind of shows you what impression I had of it. Like, I loved it, I finished the game, I thought it was great. But I think they could have saved everyone a lot of time and about £40 or $60 each by simply writing in big bold letters on the back of the box if you really like the sands of time but you're a bigger fan of disney's aladdin this is the game for you <laughs> because it was just a perfect cross of those two genres i mean i like aladdin like i i on my 20th birthday i watched aladdin like i like that film it's good but has no place in video games at all whatsoever because it's like it, it was like he said it was like prince of persia for 10 year olds and the falling system where you get caught and dragged back up was uh, brilliant because not only did it imply that for once like the female character is actually stronger and more cautious and more intelligent than the male which i thought was kind of like quite hilarious that you know a company that's all about assassin's creed and womanizing assassins decided to slip that in but also because it was just it was more relaxed but everyone hated it because it was different and then so they're like, okay, well, we can't do it in an IP, but maybe if we slip in all these new mechanics um, in a proven franchise, maybe we can get the ideas in. And like Eddie said, that was proven in the Assassin's Tombs. I thought the Assassin's Tombs were actually, without a doubt, the best part of the entire game because it was just pure free running. Like on the rooftops, I think the one thing that is very realistic but ruins the Assassin's Creed series are the archers on the rooftops because if you just want to run from one side of the city to the other, more often or not, at least one of them will ruin the flow of the entire experience, whereas that one you could go through the assassin tombs if you wanted in about two and a half minutes just by holding the right trigger um, an A, whereas in you know with, with Mirror's Edge you had to hit like 50 buttons every minute to make sure she was doing what you wanted her to do. A slight exaggeration. No, yeah, it's a slight <laughs> exaggeration. I mean, there was a webcomic I saw recently... Um, the title of which I believe is called uh, Virtual Shackles, that did a comic where it was basically they displayed 
her running up a wall, uh, backflipping off it and climbing up and running off. And it displayed all the buttons you would realistically have to press. And it was somewhere around 10 buttons, which isn't a lot, but it's a fair amount. And then next to her, they displayed Ezio doing the same thing. And all it was was right trigger and A. And he did exactly the same thing, but faster and got up to the top. And was just like, ciao, you know? <laughs> A little something for everyone. From the serious analysis of Big Red Potion to the firm but well informed GamerDork UK. GamerDork, 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 GamerDork. Find like minded comment. Keep your hobby alive. Gaming bargains to help keep your hobby alive. was one of the best and friendliest communities on the internet. And if you're one of us mature gamers, find like-minded comment. Do you suffer from video game-itis? This is a condition affecting thousands of gamers who sell their games for next to nothing and buy them for way too much. You are not alone. Help is out there. Gamers using PlaySwitch.com now experience the freedom to name their own prices when buying and selling their used games. They take advantage of online postage, listen to our video game podcast, and visit a game market where they can see all the buyers and sellers of the games they're interested in. Use the code IWAFG when you sign up for a free account, and we'll give you five free Switch Bucks to get started. Don't wait. You don't need to suffer with used video game-itis any longer. PlaySwitch.com, the smarter way to play. Let's, let's wrap this up by talking about uh, new IPs, because obviously... The, the, the main worry from looking at all the sequels this year is that uh, there are too many franchises, like like Eddie said, that are undeserving of sequels and getting them. And there are maybe new IPs like Mirror's Edge, which uh, has really had to fight for its uh, its sequel, like Scribblenauts, which uh, really had to fight to get attention, uh, which uh, maybe new IPs are getting restricted by the uh, proliferation of sequels. Do you think that that's a significant problem in gaming, guys? Yeah, I think that it makes sense because, you know, most series don't really work until their second iteration to begin with um, for various reasons, for feedback and so on and so forth. But um, I think just to give those games a second chance, it takes quite a risk on a lot of the development. Like, look at Dead Space, for example. That game sold pretty well, but the sequel could either be the biggest thing in gaming or it could be a nothing. It could sell less than the first one, you know, diminishing returns, that type of thing. Um I think that you kind of have to have a sequel now to even be noticed by the general consumer um, in many cases. Uh, if you look at how long it took Call of Duty to catch on, that kind of shows where that, that goes. Um, but I don't know. I think, that, I think that because games cost so damn much now to set up that if you don't do a sequel, you're kind of losing out on what could be, um, especially since all the foundations that you build in the first one, all that money that you spent building that first game could be you know, made so much better the second time around. I think it's definitely tough to to get attention as a new IP, with Mirror's Edge being a very good example, I think. Um, because I, I thought that game was sort of groundbreaking in the way that gameplay flowed and how it was so incredibly different from anything I had played before. Yet, I don't think 
a whole lot of people took to that. And that happens a lot. There are a lot of great games that a lot of people don't play because they just don't know any better, which comes back to the idea of the consumer versus the the enthusiast. Um, Like, I mean, which comes back to the idea of the general consumer versus the knowledgeable enthusiast. And in the case of someone just walking into a store and looking for something to buy, I'm, they see Mirror's Edge, they, they don't really know, what the hell is this? Eh, I'm not going to take a chance. And so it's about, it's not only about the developers and publishers taking chances on their consumers, it's about the consumer taking chances on the unknown. So, yeah, it's difficult and it's unfortunate. Um, and it's more of a problem nowadays in an era of greater expense to produce these video games um and i think if this is kind of going into a whole other realm of discussion but if less was spent on um new ips like maybe borrowing from the indie scene their whole design philosophy then maybe we would see more people playing new games new ips and then that would allow um the developers to take bigger risks again back with sequels of the new IPs so it's it's just sort of a a tough situation when you bring money into it in a perfect world if we could magically conjure new IPs at will then yeah I'd rather see no game with the number two on it Um, but that's not how it works when I was, um, this isn't another monologue, like I said to Sinan earlier, it must be like podcasting with Ross Noble, but, um, <laughs> but when, I was, when I was younger, I had a band, and they didn't really fit in sp- any specific genre, but the only way we could sell the music to people was by comparing it to stuff that ultimately, like, that already existed. So we're like, oh, it's like this crossed with this crossed with this, and that's kind of how they're selling a lot of IPs nowadays. Like, it was a shame that Dragon Age, Dragon Age is a great, um, start to what I hope will be a long franchise, but at the same time they had to take so many cues from uh, Mass Effect. They were like, oh, you know, it's got the Mass Effect engine and blah blah blah, and it had essentially it was Mass Effect minus guns and the combo wheel. But it, that, and that was kind of how they sold it. And like the Fallout Three thing, a big compliment. Say it's Oblivion with guns, but essentially you're selling it on the fact that it's built upon that engine. And I just think that's a massive shame because you have got games like Scribblenauts. Like, I sold my DS years ago. I wish I hadn't because any game that allows me to put long cat, basement cat, and ceiling cat on a DS screen is just, you know, that's that's phenomenal. And the, the amount of effort they put in, like Eddie was right, they had a tiny, tiny budget for that game specifically. And instead of having some big presentation and giving out tons of gifts, they hung around their own stall at E3 2009 and waited for people to put words in that they hadn't done yet. And they took down a list, and every single word mentioned at E309 went into the final thing. Like, Gears of War 2 would never do that. Admittedly, Gears of War 2 would <laughs> never allow you to play with lolcats. I think the closest you'll get to that is the rap at the end of Gear One, uh, Gears 1. But I just think it's a shame that IPs have to try so hard to compare themselves to existing successors for the majority of the market to give them a chance. Hmm. It's interesting you, you mentioned um, Scribblenauts there, and 
you know, just just to briefly touch on on how important marketing is to new IPs. I mean, Nintendo have this policy, it seems, of seeing how a game fares in its very early stages, and then uh, then suddenly, if it's doing well enough, throwing masses of marketing at it, and that's what's made uh, Scribblenauts and uh, Professor Layton such huge sellers. It, it's not that there was a word of mouth or uh, that uh, you know they're both very good games. They're not necessarily that amazing, but uh, they they both sold crazy because Nintendo got behind them. And you know we've seen it with Assassin's Creed. Um, it's interesting when a game seems to do well despite that. And we've had one recent example which I wanted to recently touch on. I just wanted to touch on, sorry, uh, which was Borderlands, which hasn't had a, this huge marketing push. Why? Why does something like Borderlands, which uh, I mean, it's a good game, how? Why does that really? How has that managed to you know to to break the ceiling, as it were, for a new IP? I really don't understand how Borderlands is selling at all. I think I, I know it's a first-person shooter. It's on consoles. It's it's a fall release, but I guess word got out about the fact that it's it's kind of the blending of an MMO, which you know there's a lot of people that are inherently drawn to that, and there's also and the FPS facts that a lot of people are inherently drawn to that. The combination of those two somehow got out to the general public. How I will never know, but people kind of picked up on it, and for some reason are buying it in mass droves. It's cool yeah. looking and it's really fun. Yeah, that's my that's the top of my Christmas list is is Borderlands. If I was being cynical about it, I might argue that it uh, it looks a bit more it, it looks a bit like an edgier Fallout Three. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of Fallout Three crossed with the sort of class, strong personality element of Team Fortress. I think was what it reminded mm. me of. It's interesting, yeah. So a lot of it just sometimes is just that that first impressions, that mm-hmm. that image that's out there on the box. Uh, I think Assassin's Creed, even without the marketing, would have sold basically because it, it is a very cool image that that game produces. You know, uh, mm. Altair's design is just very, very cool. The concept in itself is very, very cool and unusual. Yeah. But anyway, I think I think we could we could go down that road. Uh, we could don't go down a lot of roads that we've brought up today, but. Uh, we are already hitting uh, the over limit mark, so uh, I think we'll wrap things up there. So, uh, I would just like to say thank you so much to uh, our two guests, Eddie and Christos. And uh, let's go to Christos first. Christos, any anything you'd like to plug? Anything that you're doing at the moment that uh, you'd like our listeners to to know about? Um, obviously, my blog. Uh for the game of good and to give a shout out to both my girlfriend Lex as is customary and also my grandma who turned uh, 90 the other week which I think is an awesome achievement in a place like Glasgow that's kind of filled with smoke and stuff like that uh, happy birthday Christmas's grandma does she does she, does, yeah. well, does she have a name what was her name her name is Margaret happy birthday Margaret <laughs> if you're listening, which you're yeah. not, probably. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll burn it to a desk. I'll burn it to a desk. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and your your blog is forthegameofgood.com. Yes. Excellent stuff. And Thank play Dragon so Age. Uh, Drag oh. Christos would be very happy. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, I'm not. I'm not being paid by Bioware yet, but like we are in sort of preliminary talks. I mean, <laughs> the tattoo went a long way. I mean, I'd, 
who who thought that you know taking a photo and putting a video of me getting a tattoo saying you know Alistair forever would ever have any effect on you know how popular I was with Bioware's PR stuff? But there you go. You, it wasn't a tattoo that surprised me. It was the location of it that did. But uh, anyway, um, let's move on to uh, Eddie Inzato. Eddie. Any obviously gamernode.com. I'm you know our listeners probably probably know you of, from there now. But what what's going up on there at the moment? Um, we have a lot of reviews of uh, a lot of the games that we spoke about today. Um, most of the new stuff in silly season, as Sinan has dubbed it. Um, we're going to have a an end of the year Nodi Awards feature um, towards the end of December. So could definitely look out for that. Um, just put up the latest Versus Node podcast, which hit episode 10, hit double digits. Hey. We're growing up. Um, so you could find that at uh, also at GamerNode and on iTunes. Um, and you can follow GamerNode on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash GamerNode. Or you could follow me on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash Eddie Inzato. That's E-D-D-I-E-I-N-Z-A-U-T-O. No, they can't. <laughs> <laughs> they can follow you at twitter.com slash Italian Breadman. <laughs> can't no, they? No, no, I changed it. Nope. I changed really? It. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'd be I behind the times, Sinan. Yeah. I wanted to make it that much more <laughs> difficult for people to figure out who I was by my strange and exotic last name. <laughs> that is an accurate way to describe it. I like it. I probably Fair lost enough. 30 followers just by changing. <laughs> all your Italian followers. They're like, what the hell? <laughs> he all, sold all out, bread. man. <laughs> yeah. All your bread lovers. Um, very cool. So yes, GamerNode.com and the, the latest Versus Node podcast, which is on morality in video games. Uh, got uh, You've got Jason Finelli on there, who was on the show with us. Well, last time you were on, and uh, and it, I'm sure it's very, very good. I haven't listened to it yet, but uh, I'm very much again looking forward to. So, uh, Crystal Seddy, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, before we go, Joe, any any plugs or shout outs this week? Uh, yeah, if you happen to be in New York City, Times Square, there's the uh, the Charmin toilet paper experience is up. Uh, it's it's right in the heart of Times Square, right in the right in the mix of everything you can uh you can dive into a giant vat full of toilet paper there's about 40 bathrooms for you to use all of them are monitored by this guy who's very creepy and talks to you about really detailed things that you don't want to know about um and yeah that's that's definitely the, the plug that i want to get out there because i went there and it freaked me the f out uh also yeah christmas shopping because that's where i'm going to spend most of my week doing so yes absolutely plug that. 